0: Tonight we're going to be looking at something uh, that is pretty difficult for us to deal with, uh, partly because we go to these things called churches, and partly because of the subject matter of the church that we're looking. So we're in Revelation 3 tonight, the church at Sardis, and this is a church that is dead. Yes, dead, done, not happening, okay? You say, you just described my home church. No, we're not picking on anybody tonight. That is not your home church. That is not your grandparents' church. That's not the church that's boarded up. That is not where it's at. This is spiritually dead. This is a church that has ceased to exist spiritually, and God is giving them one more chance for repentance. And I I talked about this with our leadership team this evening at five o'clock. I said, you know, what's continually evident to me in the book of Revelation is that John keeps communicating to us as a church through these letters to the churches that God is continually giving opportunities for repentance. And if you've been with us for a couple of weeks... We've talked a lot about repentance. We've talked about struggles that we have, and we asked that you write that down on a sticky note and put it in your Bible, and so that you would wrap those struggles in God's Word and that God's Word would have power over those struggles. And so we believe in God's Word. We believe that He has power over death in the grave, and we believe that His Word is powerful enough to conquer those struggles. And then last week, we entered into fight clubs with each other. We're going to fight Satan. We're going to punch him in the mouth, and I hope that you felt some of those. Blows this week as Satan he got a little he got a little uppercut maybe a little dot in the eye maybe a little knee to the groin however you had to go down just we hope you entered a fight club with somebody last week where you texted them something very personal about what you struggle with it could have been pornography it could have been pride it could have been arrogance whatever it was you texted that to a significant friend a person that you trust and you entered into a fight club with them where they are fighting with you through word power prayer and deed that they are fighting with you to win the battle over sin, death, and the grave because we know who holds the keys. We just got to help him unlock the goodness that he gives us to glory for him. And so I hope that you're with us tonight and you're ready to see what God is going to do this evening through the church at Sardis through chapter three as we begin that tonight. I've never been more terrified in all my life than when I woke up in India. And I don't mean short for Indiana, I mean India, the country. So there I was. That's how any good story should start. If you're not a good uh, storyteller, you should start every story with, so there I was. So there I was on a train in India. We're going from the middle part of the country to the southern portion of the country to do some missionary work. I yes, I was on a mission trip to India. I'm a very unique person in India in that I'm about 6'3", 6'4", 210 pounds, and I am as white as a ghost. You can see by my legs here. Hope I'm not blinding any of you with the contrast between light and dark there. So if you are, just close your eyes. I'll know that you're not sleeping, and I'll just know that, you know, you have some retinal distortion because of the brightness of my white legs. And so there I was on this train, and this train is a unique train in that it is an overnight train. And so what happens is you get on this train during the day, and you're riding along, and then it's time to go to sleep. And the guy comes around, and he gives you sheets and a blanket, and your little bench that you're turning on, it just folds down, and you go to sleep. I was like, this sounds nice. I mean, it's a little hot. It's only 110, but I feel like I could get a good nap in. I feel like I'll be able to sleep. And so I'm on this train, and it's doing the whole rock and back and forth. It's like somebody rocking you to sleep. And so it doesn't take me long. I have the uncanny ability. Some of you possess this, and I want you to not take it for granted. You have the uncanny ability that you can fall asleep just about anywhere as long as you can close your eyes. Anybody? Yes, amen, all over the house. You're like, I I tell you what, math 240, boom, I'm out. Chemistry, boom, I'm out. Any type of FYE class, if the professor will just turn around and write on the board, boom, I'm out. All right? My girlfriend starts talking to me ad nauseum in chilies, and if I don't watch myself, boom, I'm out. All right? So, you know, movies that you find boring, you're like, I'm just going to. So there I am, and I'm sleeping. I'm all cuddled up. I got my pillow. I'm sleeping on this train. I feel good. I'm probably about two hours into a pretty blissful sleep. And you've you, you never been there before, you know. I've never been to India before. I've never really ridden a lot of trains besides the ones at the zoo with my little girls, you know. So I've never done that a whole lot. Maybe an Amtrak here or there. Maybe a T in Boston, things like that. But I've never ridden, like, on a passenger train. Like, I've never been on Amtrak before. And I've definitely never been on India Amtrak overnight. And so I'm lying there, and I'm dead asleep. I'm talking... You know, like your grandpa after Thanksgiving dinner. I'm sawing some logs probably. I mean, I'm way deep in sleep. And then the most terrifying thing that I think has ever happened to me while I was asleep happened. It literally caused me to jump up and I screamed like a schoolgirl. What I screamed, I don't want to repeat, this is the house of the Lord. But I asked the Lord to come quickly and take me home with a few other words included because I was so deathly afraid. Because no one told me and no one explained to me that I could possibly be woken up by an oncoming train. (laughs) Because in India, the sleeping trains are on one track and the other trains on another track. And when they pass each other in the middle of the night they blow their horn. Not once, not twice, but the entire length of the train that they're on and you're on. And so I'm lying there, sleeping peacefully. And what I hear is the sound of a freight train. And it's not fake. It's totally real. And I thought I was dying in a train accident. I really did. I woke up and I was like, ah! To which some of our other staff members My scream was much louder, much longer, but I don't want to bore you with that. To which some of the other staff members who are men of God, devout followers of Christ, preach the gospel, did not stop laughing for probably 10 to 15 minutes at me. They said, Casey, what did you think happened? I said, I thought we were dying in a fiery crash of two trains colliding in the middle of the night in a foreign country. What do you think I thought happened? I would love to tell you that at that point, I took my pretty little head and I laid it down on my pretty little pillow and I went back to sleep. But I did not because I was woke. I was woke up. I was totally woke. Waking up with a freight train horn was not a problem. Totally lucid, totally ready for the day. So if you're having trouble, Waking up and going to class. I would encourage you to get the sound of a freight train. A loud one, like, as though it would be coming through your bedroom. Record that. Put that on your phone and let that be your alarm clock because most of you probably don't get to hear trains a whole lot unless you live really close to the tracks here at Tech. And if you do, you sympathize with me, don't you? Do I have any sympathizers with me this evening that the train that goes by causes you to think unholy thoughts? Anyone, just two or three of you that live by the tracks? Anybody live on the tracks? On the Underneath the tracks? Nope. just two of you. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, tonight, as we look at the church at Sardis, that is Christ's. Problem with this church. That is what John is communicating to them. And so, if you think about the church of Sardis, I'll give you the geography a little bit. Uh, it's about 30 miles southeast of Thyatira. Uh, this city didn't really have a lot of commerce. It was, uh, the temple of Artemis was there, not a big deal. But the thing about this city was that it was surrounded by these peaks, by these These cliffs, really. And so they were pretty uh, protected. They felt like they were anyway. And so twice in the city's history, up until this point that John is writing to them, they had been overtaken twice because they were really arrogant. They had failed at the city watch. Uh, They would um, not stay up all night. They would say, well, you know what? We're pretty safe. We're just going to chill out. And people would attack and invade them. And so this church at Sardis suffers from somewhat of the same thing. And so I I hope that you're with us tonight and you're thinking about the alarms that are going off in your life. Because it's about alarm time. It's about panic time right now. Some of you are realizing, you know what, that paper that I said I was going to do and I was going to work on the entire time this quarter, I was going to start each week and work a little each week. And if I work a little each week, I won't have to, I won't have to panic. And I'm not going to procrastinate because I'm trying to overcome the procrastination that I had in high school. And you realize right now that if you started working on this 10 page paper right now, that you probably are going to be all right, but you're hitting the panic button in some of your classes because quite honestly, your grades, eh, they're so good. You're like, when is drop fail? When is that? It's already passed come it! Or you're realizing as some of us do that you've eaten a little too much and that your account is a little too low and you may have to starve the last two weeks of class. You're like, last two weeks of class, I'll be going on a diet of nothing. I'm currently calculating all the free meals that are here at school, and I'm appreciating the BCM Dollar Lunch, the Wesley Foundation, the Student Center for the Blonde, and all the free lunches here in town, um, because I'm going to need a free meal every now and then because I have no money, because I have eaten like a king, and now I eat like a pauper. It is, woe am I. And so the alarms are going off. So what do we do when the alarms of life are going off? This is what most of us do. We hit snooze. And Walter's like, I, I literally hit snooze all the time. And it goes off. And, and maybe you're one of these people that you're like, you know what? You have good intentions. These are the people that they set their alarm an hour before class time. They wanna get up, eat a healthy breakfast, do their time with the Lord. They wanna be uh, very studious. They want to, to have this time with the Lord, eat that good meal, You know, maybe check the news, maybe check a little Instagram. They wanna be productive with their morning and they go to class and they feel, they're the people that sit down and they've got their cup of coffee and they've got their maybe little scone or whatever wrapped up real neat and nice and they're just enjoying the day. And you look at them and you go, gosh, darn it, I wish I was like that. And then there's people like my wife. (laughs) What time do we have to be there? Nine o'clock. I'm going to set my alarm for seven. That's good. That's like two hours earlier. I mean, you're going to have a productive morning. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Seven o'clock rolls, alarm, alarm goes off. Blank, 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 blank. Snooze. I'm like, I, 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 I've, I've sat there and watched her hit snooze for an hour and forty five minutes. I'm like, what's the point? And then she gets upset with me when I go over and I turn it off because I'm tired of hearing it go off every five to ten minutes. I'm like. She's like, will you wake me up? I'm like, what? I don't. Hasn't this device been doing this? And you're the person that it goes off and you give yourself literally five minutes to eat, Let's not call it bathing because it's like a spritz at this point. You know, it's like I spritzed myself with something that I think smells reasonably attractive. I smelled my clothes. They smelled clean. And I ran out the door and you realize it's for girls. It's ball cap, sweatshirt, shorts. And if they if they just remember, they put on tennis shoes. But sometimes it's flip flops. And they're like, I don't. Are these shower shoes again? (laughs) And for the boys, they just put on the jeans, they put the belt buckle on, they put the shirt and the ball cap on, and they roll in there and they realize, you know what, I didn't brush my teeth. <laughs> Probably better not talk to any girls today. <laughs> got a little, got a little, whoo, mm. They breathe out, you know, high. And they're like, oh, whoa! If you smell your own breath, imagine what's happening to the rest of us. And so when... We are faced with the alarms of life, and we hit snooze. What is really going on? Well, for the church of Sardis, they have been given really a unique opportunity in that John is writing to them, and he is saying to them, Wake up. Wake up. He's giving them a warning. And so notice who the wake-up comes from. That's where we'll be at the first part. Then we'll also see the risk, the remedies, and the rewards. And so that's where we're at this evening, the first five verses of the book of Revelation. I want to read those to you this evening, but I want to pray for our time as we study God's Word. So bow your head with me. Lord God, open our hearts and minds to your will and to your way, that we would hear from you, that we would... Lord... Be alert that we would wake up to your will, to your word, and to your wonder this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 3 reads this way. To the angel at the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains as not about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I come. You have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy." He who overcomes will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Look at who is waking them up. If you look at the description of Christ as we have seen in each one of these churches, notice how Christ is described in verse 1. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The seven spirits are not seven independent spirits here at this point. Seven is the number of completion, and so it is saying the complete Holy Spirit has infused this church. This is a body of believers, they are complete. The seven spirits of God and the seven stars, the seven stars that we saw in chapter one, those are the seven elders. Those are the angels of the church, the people that are really committed to God. And that is the description of Christ, that he is holding on to them. He is holding them out and holding them up. And for you and I, that should give us great comfort that even in a church that is dead, God is actively working in that church. He is actively holding them, pursuing them, and helping them. And so for you and I, when we often feel as though we have walked away from Christ, that we don't have an opportunity or a point or a purpose that God is giving us right this moment, you may say, well, you know what? I feel like God is far away from me, and it's really you that are far away from God. Or you feel like it's just a time in your life where God's really silent Know that he is holding on to you. He is holding on to his Holy Spirit being invested in your life and speaking into your life. And he is also helping you in this difficult time. It may be a time in your life where it was really, really difficult at home. It was really, really difficult at work. Wherever it was, know that God was holding on to you through the power of Holy Spirit and through his spirit of the elders and the saints that worked in your life. That's probably when you sought godly counsel. That's probably when you asked mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, what should I do? And they said, seek the Lord. Because if you seek him, the word tells us that we will find him. So beyond those descriptions of Christ, we see here that there are some risks that this church is taking. The risk of the church at Sardis is death. The first risk was their name. If you look there, it says... I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. The risk there was they were living for their name, their past fame. They they were known for the past efforts of the church, but now they are relatively unknown. This, I call this the Christian school principle. The Christian school principle goes like this. I go to a Christian school, therefore I'm Christian. Is that true? Probably not. One of my friends growing up, he was the star quarterback for the East Hill Christian School. Great guy not a follower of Christ. He went on to be the backup quarterback at Florida State University and got his college degree, but you would never call him a follower of Christ, not by either what he professed or by what he lived. And I always thought it was ironic because at graduation day, he received the Christ-like character award for East Hill Christian School to which he was very grateful and he accepted it. But I asked him, how did you get that award? He goes, well, I threw the most touchdowns in school history. I said, but it's for Christian character. He goes, yeah, I know. I said, so how do touchdowns equate to Christian character? He goes, I don't know. I didn't give myself the award. But oftentimes, name... Past history, for some reason, trumps the present. Our past history is gone. For some of us in this room, we're glad. We're like, thank you, Jesus, because the past is in the past, and hopefully I'll never repeat it. But some of us, we're living off our past. The second thing that this church is risking was their deeds. It says, I know your deeds. I know what you've been doing. And you have this reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Their deeds, it says, were, if you look on down, it says, I have not found, or for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Their deeds were incomplete. They had no plan. They had no purpose. They were just doing life for life's sake. Some churches just do church for church's sake, and that's where Sardis was. It is like running without a plan. I'm gonna run a marathon, couch to 5K. That's pretty common these days, couch to 5K. And for most of us, that starts with us running from the couch to the refrigerator and back. And that wind sprint alone can kill a person. Especially if you don't have shoes on, and you slip on the tile and take a plunge towards the couch, if you land it wrong, you could really hurt yourself on the coffee table. Not that I would know that, just heard. But if you say you wanna run a marathon, and you just take off running one morning, 26.1 miles, just because, you know what, that's the distance that you must accomplish to achieve a marathon, you will find yourself very close to Monroe and very, very tired. You need a plan. You need a purpose. And so for us, if we want to conquer this idea of dying, we have to have a plan Two, two types of Christians come to mind for me. I, I wrote down common Christians and carnal Christians. Common Christians, their deeds are like this. They profess Christ but have not accepted Christ for salvation. So really what you have is no growth and no groaning for the Lord. This is the idea of lost potential, really. And so they are Christian mainly like Christian schoolboy. They are Christian just in name. It's more of a convenience factor or a social stigma. It's just helpful to them if they're Christian. In the South, this is very helpful for us socially if we profess Christ. Now, we can't have let Christ have a really big impact on how we accomplish our business because, I mean, we need to underpay people and overwork them to accomplish our business goals, right? I mean, our Christian character doesn't need to influence our business practices, I mean, we can just be a common, every ordinary Christian. That way we can have, you know, the little igthu symbol on our, our work or our business card. And people go, he's Christian, I should do business with him. Because that's a common thing. And that is what John is saying here about this church. That it's full of common Christians. And it's also full of carnal Christians. Those who have had the Holy Spirit work in their life, but they have not yielded to the Holy Spirit. And we know these people, we've seen this. They pursue hell more than heaven. They say, I follow the Lord, but I like hellish things. Which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I love the Lord, but I love all these carnal things much more because I participate in them on the reg. Correct? So the carnal Christian, living under their own power, not under the power of the Holy Spirit, using their freedom for folly, for foolishness, the Bible says, instead of faith. But Christ, thank the Lord, does not leave Sardis there, as he does not leave you and I there. Christ does not leave them risking death. He offers them a remedy. As the alarm goes off in verse 2, he says, wake up. Freight train, here it comes, smacking us between the eyes. He's going to give us five remedies, five remedies that will help us not risk death. Verse 3, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and hurt. Obey it and repent. Repent. The first remedy is wake up. The first remedy is realize, wake up to what the text says. Pay attention. Number one rule in class, go to class. Yikes. Number one rule in college, go to class. If you get there, you've accomplished much more than most people in college. Have you ever noticed probably first or second day, There's like 100 people. End of the quarter, there's 10. Or on test day, the class size doubles. And you're like, where have all these people been? What do they know that I don't know? I can tell you what they know that you don't know. Nothing. You know much more than they do. Had a college class that was... The professor was about to retire. In fact, it was his retirement year, and he loved to mess with people. He just loved it. And so there it was during homecoming week and we had class like right in the middle of the day. It was like an uh, 11 to 12.50 class, you know, right at lunchtime. It was really difficult for a lot of people, especially when they were giving away free food and there were a lot of games out in the quad area. They were giving away like a car that year and stuff like that at homecoming. It was, it was a really just loud. It was right outside our building. And so When we got into class, he said this, he goes, for those of you that have chosen to grace me with your presence today, I'm truly thankful. And I'm so thankful that I'm going to give you an A for today. And I'm like, but we don't have anything today. It's just a regular class. day." syllabus says that we're supposed to be here. We're having class. He goes, in fact, you know what? Do me this favor Write your names down on this piece of paper that I'm passing around. And the next test that we have, you'll get an A. In fact, don't come on test day if you write your name on the paper. And I remember this vividly because I was like, this guy's jacking with me. This guy, this this is crazy, you can't do this. And so I wrote my name on the paper. They handed it in and the next week we had, you know, a pretty large test coming up. And so uh, he stands up in front of the class and he goes, those of you that whose names are on the piece of paper that we pass around, remember our deal. Well, the people that weren't there were like, what, what deal, what deal, what deal, what deal? And he goes, and if you speak about it with anyone, your grade will be sufficiently diminished. And I'm like, so people locked it the heck up. You know, it's like fight club, don't know don't know what you're talking about. I wasn't at, And so the people that were afraid, they came to class. And he told them that the highest possible grade they could make on the test was a C. He said, you can't do that. He was retiring. He could do whatever he wanted. You know, he's like, what are they going to do? Fire me? I quit. <laughs> and I got an A because I went to class. I didn't do that every single time. You have to realize, that you just have to wake up. You have to participate. Next he says that we need to reignite. We need to strengthen the embers that are glowing, basically is what you would read in the Greek. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. We need to have the Holy Spirit blow freshly on our lives so that we can be strengthened so that we can glow again and be reignited for God. And that's what he's telling Sardis here. He says, wake up and strengthen what remains. In other words, there's still something in there. There's still something that has life. Let the Holy Spirit it. Blow on those embers and let it reignite. Thirdly, he says, remember what you have heard. What if you and I were held accountable in heaven for every sermon and for every Bible study that we had ever heard? Anybody want that? That you would have to stand before the Lord and the Lord would go, remember That kind of cold night in October, we talked about the church of Sardis in case he was preaching that and he was saying wake up and he was saying reignite and then there was this whole remember and you know, you didn't write anything down, you weren't taking notes and you forgot and you're accountable for that. Some of us would probably start taking notes with a lot more tenacity Are you accountable for every word that you hear from the word of God? If you believe it is truth and it is life, then possibly so. You say, well, I've got a really good memory. Awesome. Remember what you have heard. And they had heard the gospel. And they're supposed to remember who they are. And what the gospel means to them. Fourth, we need to respect. We need to have respect for it. Respect for God's word. Respect for what God is doing. We need to, and you know what it says, after it says they received it and heard it, they obey it. They live it. Because if we don't live it, then we might not believe it. And then lastly, and probably most importantly for the book of Revelation and for Sardis, the church, and even for us tonight, is repent. Confess to God. Confess to each other. And we've done this over the past couple of weeks. But have we gotten right with man? Most of us, probably over the last two weeks, our relationship with God, we have gotten right with God. We have said, God, I'm struggling with this. I'm suffering with this, this sin that has ensnared me, entangled me, that's holding me down. Lord God, I repent of that. I confess of that. I don't want to do that anymore. I want help with that. I want the hurting to stop and I want the healing to begin. But for some of us here tonight, there is enmity between even people in this room. That means I don't like you and you don't like me because of something I said, did, or you thought I did. How can we ask for healing? How can we ask for help from God? How can we ask him to forgive us when we won't even disseminate the same forgiveness to the people that we are sitting beside, behind, or in front of? I think it is important for us as a church, as a body of Christ, To recognize that when we repent and we confess to God and we speak life uh, to each other, that our relationship with each other needs to be one of brotherhood. All five of these remedies are necessary for revival. You say, well, Casey, I don't really, you know, revival, that's something that's held in a tent at my grandmother's church where a guy yells a lot and there's a, you know, a guy that sings and he's kind of, you know, big and wears a tie and he sweats a lot. And that's just, I mean, I'm not down for that. But do you want revival and renewal in your life? Do you want revival and renewal and a right spirit with God in your friend's life? If you do, all five are necessary. But the problem for most of us is we do not desire revival as much as we desire revelry. We want the party, forget the promise. Lastly, There's the reward in verses four and five. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not spoiled their clothes or soiled their clothes. They walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. He who overcomes will like them be dressed in white. I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The reward for those who wake up And get the remedies is that they would be clothed in a white robe. You say, okay, see, I've got some good clothes and I don't like robes. Okay. That is not what it means. It means that they will not be soiled, that they will be pure and righteous before the Lord. That he would see them as worthy because they have participated in these five remedies Next, he says there would be a certainty. The reward of Christ would be that their names would be written down in heaven's roster. No erases, no takebacks. You see, for history's sake and for the the, the, the town's sake, they would take, when you were born, they would write your name down in the town ledger. It would mean you were born as a citizen there and they would write your name down. And your name would stay there until you breathed your last breath. And then when you breathed your last breath and they put you in the ground, they would erase your name because you were no longer a citizen there. And what he is telling these people at Sardis, to which there has been a lot of death, he's saying, we're going to write your name down in the, in the book of life. And no one will ever erase it. No one will ever be able to take it out. It will not happen because he who holds the keys to death in Hades is the one that is writing it down. Because he holds you in his hand if you love him and follow him. The last thing is he will confess in verse five, he will say to God, he will declare to God and to all of heaven that you belong in heaven, that you're a citizen there. Basically, he was saying that you are approved, that he approves of you being in heaven. And so for us tonight, the point to ponder, the thing for us to think about is what is keeping you and I from waking up? Why do we keep hitting snooze in our walk with the Lord? What are we afraid of will happen? Why do we keep hitting snooze and delaying and delaying and delaying and delaying waking up to what God's Word says, to what His will requires, and to the wonder that is God Almighty? Why do we keep hitting snooze. Because it is true for the followers. It is true for everyone. When you snooze, you lose. So wake up. Why do we refuse to wake up? Scripture talks about, oh slugger, oh slumber. We even have a guy that's listening to a sermon and he falls out of a window and is dead. And so... For those of us that struggle with the sleep monster, if that's a spiritual sleepiness that you have, you need to wake up and ask yourself, what's, what's keeping me? What's, why do I keep hitting snooze in my life? Now, the point to practice, and we've had one of these each week, and this one is maybe I know we've talked about fight clubs, we've talked about a lot of different things, but this may be the most difficult one yet. If you want to practice the spiritual discipline, if you want to have an opportunity for God to work in your life, this point of practice, you don't have to write anything down. You don't have to tell anyone something you're struggling with. But what you do have to do is you've got to get out your phone. You've got to set an alarm. Now, there's the big boy way. Uh, let's just call it the little boy way. The big boy way is I'm going to set my alarm for 2.52 a.m. Why 2.52? Because that's the scripture that this college ministry is built around. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, and so we want to constantly be growing in favor with God first and man. And so if we're going to wake up and do business with the Lord, guess what? At 2.52 in the a.m. in Ruston, Louisiana, there's not a lot of people talking to Jesus. And so you have probably maybe a little bit better connection. That's just silly, but I hope you get the idea that if you're praying at two fifty-two in the morning, there's not a lot of people joining you. God's not as busy. He's like, oh, a prayer from Rustin. (laughs) It's quite unique, don't you know? I'm I'm in China right now. I'm I've got a lot of prayers in China, but the one in Rustin, I'm gonna pay attention to that one because you don't get a lot of these angels. You just don't. These are rare. 2.52, can you believe it? In the a.m., and they're not drunk. (laughs) (laughs) And so he's paying special attention, I would believe. And so that's the big boy one. And so if you set your alarm, if you practice this, you will set your alarm for 2.52 in the a.m. And this is all you need to do. What I would ask that you do, as far as this point of practice, is that you would set your alarm for two fifty-two in the a.m. and that when you are awoken, that you don't want to snooze, that you wake up, and you don't have to wake yourself totally up. You don't have to jump out of bed and do your quiet time or anything like that. What I'm asking you to do is at two fifty-two that you would wake up and you would pray for revival in your life and the life of your friends, Louisiana Tech, and the world, and then go back to sleep. And once you to do it for seven days, that's the big boy way. Because I think it would take a lot of discipline to wake yourself up at 2.52. You say some of you say, Well, I'm already awake, then you're already ready. Little boy way is 2.52 p.m. It'll still take discipline because you may be busy, you may be in class, you may have things to do, but you would still be asked to pray for. Revival in your life and the life of your friends and the life of this church Louisiana Tech and the world and you can stop it there but I hope you would bear testimony that means I hope you would tell people that you're doing those things and if you would include us in the Instagram or hashtag that or whatever you want to call it Temple Tech I think that would be really cool because I would love to see where you're at at 252 and what God's doing. For some of us, it's just going to be a black screen with 252 in red, you know, because it's in the AM. And if there's anything else in the picture, people are going to ask questions, you know. Like if there's, you know, a neon sign or, you know, a pool table or, you know, a bar back, you might be like, well, okay, 252, you, you know, you needed prayer. It's obvious. It's obvious. You know, last call happened two hours ago. You may need that. Or it may be that you take a picture of your feet and you realize that the reason you're cold every night is because at 2.52 in the morning, your feet have come out from under the covers and that's why you're cold. And You just figured it out and you're like, God, thank you for the revival in my life. I've realized something that's plagued my mind for years and that is the simple fact that when I sleep, I'm a violent sleeper and I pull all the covers off my feet and that's why I'm so daggum cold. Thank you, Jesus. Revival. In my life and in my friend's life because I won't be so grumpy when I talk to them because I've had a good night's sleep. What are you willing to do at 2.52? Well, if you choose to set that alarm, let us know. We'd love to share in that testimony with you. You say, well, Casey, I don't like 2.52 in the morning at all. Here's some of the things you've probably been doing at 2.52 in the morning. Netflix. Because you keep skipping the intro And you've binge watched it and you realize it's 2.52 in the morning and I'm nine episodes into my new show. I'm a season and a half in. Why stop now? Let's go for all six seasons. Who needs class? (laughs) Don't say you haven't done it. People are pointing fingers in here. That's what's hilarious. like, you do that. And then you have those that um, at 2.52 in the morning... You're invested emotionally. That means that you're into your feels, you know. You're listening to a sad song. You're writing in your journal. You're just enjoying your feelings. And then we have our social butterflies in the room that at 2.52 in the morning, they're still that I'm solving all relational problems for all of my friends, myself, and the world. And they're talking to six different people simultaneously about six different relationships. You cross one, carry the two, multiply by the derivative, and you've got 252 in the morning. It's like, what just happened? Those are you that you sit in bed, and this is how you, have to go, you go to sleep. And you've gone to sleep, and the phone is actually gone. You hit yourself on the head and you're like, you've got a little blood there, and you tell people, I, 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 I bumped my noggin on something, and what happened was you smacked yourself in the head with your phone because you fell asleep texting. Look, I have woken up, and I, my wife's gonna kill me for this. She, it was really funny. She. We get this package from Zulily. My wife is notorious for getting on Zulily. And she will she just surfs, you know, and she'll put stuff in her cart and blah, blah, blah. Well, apparently, you know, like Amazon, they have the one-click thing, you know. Well, Zulily, I think, has something like that. And so this package comes to her house. And and she's like, did you order something from Zulily? I was like, I don't shop at Zulily. I don't even know what they have there, you know. I'm an Amazon man. Don't put that evil on me. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, what's in the box? And she goes, I have no idea. I was like, well, you ordered it, didn't you? She goes, I think I ordered it in my sleep. I said, what? She goes, I think I ordered this in my sleep. I was like, well, let's see what it is. She opens it up, and it is like this sweater thing that you wear, but it has like a long, it's like a cape. It has a long train on it, but it doesn't, it doesn't come around like something like a coat. It's like on the front side, it's up to your waist. And on the back side, it goes all the way to the floor. And it was, this is what was funny. She goes, I said, so did you order this? She goes, and it was like mustard brown or yellow or something. I was like, did you order this? She goes, I, I really do think I ordered it in my sleep. I said, why do you think that? She goes, because it's a triple extra large. (laughs) My wife is a very tiny woman. She puts it on and it is literally like a train behind her. And the best thing is Georgia was in there, our youngest, and Georgia's like, she's pointing and laughing at her mother. And then her mother started laughing. I started laughing. I was like, this is what happens with our, our culture today. We're so asleep. We're so asleep. God is living and breathing and moving around us. And we refuse to wake up. And we chance dying like the church at Sardis. I hope that you will participate in the point of practice. I'm really interested to see how this goes. I'm setting my alarm for 2.52 in the a.m. because I woke up this morning and put on my big boy pants. Yes, they are basketball shorts. And I put on a hoodie. And I was like, you know what? I'm ready to preach the gospel. And if a basketball game breaks out, I'm ready. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And so uh, tonight, I hope that you are ready to see God work in your life, in the lives of your friends lives of people at Louisiana Tech in the world. Because revival will come if we wake up. I'm going to pray for you and then we have a few announcements. Let's just quiet our hearts and minds this evening and ask God to point out things that we hit snooze on. Lord God, in the silence, Lord, speak clearly and boldly and loudly. Lord, let us hear you. Let us hear the warning. Let us hear the alarm. Because, Lord, we don't want to die without you. And so, Lord, if we're a carnal carnal person, that we do not desire your spirit or your will or your way, Lord. Convict us of that this evening, Lord. Reach into the depths of our heart and rattle us. Shake us, O Lord, that we would know that we need you. Lord, let us seek you out. And Lord, if we're we're a common Christian, Lord, that you're just really not a priority, Lord, wake us up to that fact that our lives are common. That you have not yet uniquely spoken into our life and we are not relying on your power that we are trying to live this life on this earth under the power of our own spirit instead of the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, let us seek the remedies that you have provided in your word, that revival and renewal would come and come quickly. Lord, let us not only ponder these things, let not just think about these things, but Lord, let us put into practice the words that are mentioned here tonight in your letter to the church at Sardis. Lord, we ask all these things in your precious and holy name because, Lord, we desire to be your people. In Jesus' name, amen.